0: Welcome to Bethany Online. It is a joy to have you guys with us this morning or evening or whenever you may be watching this. This is a wonderful thing to be able to gather together through the use of the internet and worship God together as his people and learn from his word and have his Holy Spirit who is ever present with us wash over us, cleansing us, transforming us with God's word That is an incredible thing. God is still at work, and we thank him for that. Word on the street is things might be changing again. Now, it's not exactly certain what that's going to look like, but I want to let you know that we're working hard and we're preparing for that great day when we're able to be back together in this room. Be praying for us as we think carefully through this. We we want to make sure that we keep people as safe as possible, um, but not delay longer than we have to to get people back together in person as God's people worshiping Him. That's an exciting thing, so appreciate your prayers. If you haven't done so already, we want to encourage you, connect with one of our life groups. It's so important that you have that personal connection with people through this time of social distancing it is not good to be alone it is not good to be isolated when we are our minds play tricks on us the deceiver gets in there and leads us down paths we shouldn't go so important that we're connected with other believers so connect with a life group you can do that through our website bbfoc.org or if you're not inclined in that way Call our church office. We have office staff who would ha- be happy to help you get connected. I want to thank you, those of you who are giving. Boy, we are overwhelmed by the good gifts of God's people. You have blessed this church. You have helped sustain this church through this season. We just want to say thank you and encourage you. Continue to support the ministry that is ongoing here at Bethany. I think that's it. Let's waste no more time. Let's get started with our service. Let's get started worshiping God. Let's get started learning from his truth. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for being here with us. And I I can say that with confidence because I know that you are ever present everywhere. And so wherever we may be, whether we're in our homes or in a park or somewhere else, Lord, you are meeting us right there and you are present with us and your Spirit is at work revitalizing and transforming and encouraging and convicting and doing all those things that the Spirit does, most of all, pointing us to our one and only hope, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that our worship would be honoring, that it would be acceptable to you, that it would be refreshing to our souls and encouraging to us as the body of Christ. And Lord, may you use your word, your transforming, soul-cutting word to do its work in our lives. Lord, Holy Spirit, have free reign in us right now. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory, amen. Now let's worship together.
1: i e Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver moon with softer gleam, O praise Him, O praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia. Their creator bless. Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him! Alleluia! Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son. And praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him! Oh, praise Him! Alleluia! Alleluia! the redeemed, all the redeemed washed by His blood. Come and rejoice in His great love. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Christ has defeated every sin. Call all your burdens now on Oh praise him alleluia Alleluia Hallelujah He shall return in power to reign Heaven and earth will join to say Oh praise of our God and King, praise Him, oh praise Him, oh praise Him, hallelujah. In your mighty name Our peace In the darkest day Remains Jesus This we know We will see the enemy run This we know We will see the victory come We hope ever may Jesus you are unfailing Our guide through the wilderness Our guide through the wilderness Our, the wilderness. Our joy in the heaviness Our way when it seems there is no way Jesus This we know We will see the enemy run This we know We will see the victory come We hold on To every promise you have Your ways are higher than our own, we trust in you, we trust in you, and your ways are higher than our own, Jesus. We trust in you, we trust in you and your You are unfair your breath in our love. Restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your.
0: Not good. Have you said those words? This is not good. Back in junior high, my dad and I, I was in junior high, not my dad, uh, we decided to build this scale model of a boat called PT-109. This was the famous patrol boat crewed by John F. Kennedy back in World War II. And we had like this 33-inch long model. I was really excited because we had a pool and we we're going to dump this thing and when it was all done and and Radio controlled it. It was going to be awesome Everything went well up to a point, but when we got to the uh, the planking for the hull That was near the front of the ship where where it has to be bent to get to that that meeting point in the middle that's when things started to get hairy. They were these, I think they were mahogany strips about this long and about this wide, and you would need to soak these things in water and then gl- put glue on the the framework and then clamp these things down just so so that they would stay and be allowed to glue over, I don't know how long, glue and dry from the water that was in them. This was... Uh, this was a really difficult thing for us to do. But we got the first piece in place. And then we got the second. And then the third. And by about the fourth piece, we started noticing something just doesn't seem right. There were there were gaps where they didn't seem like there should be gaps. And 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 I think it was the fifth piece which just Did not seem to fit at all. And so we tried sanding to the point of that piece just becoming almost unrecognizable. We tried tweaking it just so. but, But the realization soon came to us that something was wrong. And I think it was because of a decision that we made. A piece that was put on back before that now impacted all the pieces that followed. And so we got frustrated, we got tired, and eventually we just were at the point where we decided, you know what, this thing's going up on the shelf and we're moving on to something else. Have you ever had one of those moments where you took a hard look at your life and you weren't happy with what you saw? You just said, this isn't good. One bad decision has led to another, or maybe it was a series of unfortunate events or or setbacks that have shaped your life into what it is today, and it's a less impressive model than the one that you saw pictured on the cover of the box in your mind. You know, that's one of the reasons there's such a thing as a midlife crisis, It's why some people turn to alcohol or some other form of substance abuse. It's why people will will run away from home and abandon their families. Why we sometimes leave relationships that we work so hard to build for years and then go searching for another church. Or why we just put it up on the shelf, why we give up, settle for less, and trade our enthusiasm for apathy. Sometimes I think we feel like Like Bill Murray's character in that movie where he wakes up every morning to the same song, the same people, the same set of circumstances in the same sequence. We feel completely stuck in this endless cycle and an unending loop filled with unpleasant results of, of past decisions, reoccurring disappointments, of painful memories. Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're waking up each morning to the same disturbing realization that life is just not what you would like it to be. It's just not the life that you expected, that you dreamt of, that you worked so hard to build. We long to break that cycle, don't we? To put the past behind us, to start over, to start better, to step into a new brighter future. But how can we forget the past when it stalks us by day and haunts us by night? You know, Jacob had a past. We've been talking about Jacob for several weeks now. Every day of his life was lived in the wake of past decisions, of past hurts, of past wrongs. After all that he had been through, after all that he was continuing to endure, you would think that he would have been just ready to throw up his hands, look up to heaven and say, that's it. I've had enough. I, I can't stand anymore. In fact, I've, I've had all I can stand and I can't stand no more. Remember Popeye? But in the, the midst of an imperfect life, fraught with the consequences of past decisions and fresh wounds, continuing to open day by day, God does something. God calls him back to a place of hope, a place of peace, a place of rest. God calls him back to himself. Let's look at Genesis chapter 35 together, and we'll just read through the whole thing. Why don't we? Genesis 35 says this, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments." Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon-Bakuth. Verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram. And he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob because Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and the kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. And she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Anai. But his father called his name Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Elder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Billa, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Billa, Rachel's servant, Dan and Nephtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died. And was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Last week, we looked at a season of life that would have left a lasting mark on, on anyone. Rather than wholeheartedly following God, Jacob moved his family to a place called Shechem, and that was a decision that opened up his family to dangers that I don't think he ever imagined. His only daughter, Dinah, she was apparently intrigued with the people of that place. We read that she goes out to visit the women of the land, and while she was there, she finds herself humiliated at the hands of a man who bears the same name as the city in which he lived, Shechem. Her dignity, was it taken forcefully, or did she willfully surrender it? We don't know, but whatever the case, it was a devastating blow to her reputation and that of her family. Though her father fails to act, fails to respond, fails to go confront these people who had harmed his daughter, her brothers are more than willing to avenge her honor. And they deceitfully deal with the people of Shechem and then mercilessly slaughter all of the men and they plunder everything for themselves. You know, it's a terrible thing to see wrong come upon your children, to see harm done to them. Our hearts just break. Our tempers flare, our our souls are are tormented, they're in anguish. But it's also a terrible thing, isn't it? To discover that your children are responsible for hurting others. Again, our hearts break. And in addition, we're left with this burning notion that perhaps in some way, we may share some responsibility for their decisions. Though the Bible doesn't give us much of a window into Jacob's soul, there's no doubt in my mind he must have been experiencing both of those. In addition, we see at the end of chapter 34 that he was greatly distressed about uh, the harm all of this had done to his reputation in the land. And that there was now danger of of people knocking on his tent pole and coming to look for revenge from him. How's that for the first day of the rest of your life? Every morning he stirred thinking what might happen today. Did that really did, did did that scenario really happen? Did my son's actually do that? Did this actually happen to my daughter? He was living now in the wake of the past. Are there things from your past that continue to cast a dim shadow? Are there decisions that you have made or maybe even wrongs that have been done to you that just make living through the day more difficult than you would like? Is the messiness of your life, is it beginning to feel like it's just more than you can bear? I hate messes. Being a father is a great thing, but after almost nine years of it, there are times when I still find myself just taken completely off guard when I step into the house and my eyes fall upon the horrifying sight of epic disarray that has befallen not just one room, but every room in the whole house. How is this even possible? Sometimes I'm I'm able to, to just breathe, calm down, and I can deal with it. But there are others when it just feels like more than I can take. I feel like just just, just giving up or, or giving in to that mounting volcanic-like pressure and just erupting all over the place. That's usually when something else happens. Some other crisis hits. Some other tragedy strikes. When it rains, it pours, right? It does. In Jacob's case, That's when his beloved family members begin passing away. Wasn't it bad enough that all of this stuff happened? Now we're experiencing heartfelt loss. They say these things happen in threes. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if it's an actual rule or not. But that's what we see here in Genesis 35. The first was Deborah. She was the nurse of Jacob's mother. She must have been loved dearly by the family because they call the name of the oak tree under which she was buried Alon Bakuth, which just means oak of weeping. This was a, a tragic, a sad event in that family. But it didn't stop there. Next came the departure of his beloved Rachel she, remember, wished the girl of his dreams, the woman at the well who had captured his heart. For her hand in marriage, remember, she, she he had given himself in service to her devious father, not seven years, but 14 years he served for Rachel's hand. Jacob loved Rachel. It must have been a thrilling thing to hear that, God was blessing her with another child. What a miracle it was for her to have Joseph. But now another one? At this point in Jacob's life, it must have been a wonderful thing to see new life coming into the family after all the pain of recent events. And now that Jacob was moving his family on toward the place where he knew that God wanted him to go, tragedy must have been one of the last things on his mind. Finally, I'm listening to God. I'm going to do what He wants me to do. I'm going where He wants me to go. go. Surely, I'm going to see blue skies from here on out. Now that I'm resolved to follow and live in, in obedience to His command, of course. But verse 16 says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, and while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor." And she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Anai. But his father called his name Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. You know, when you think about it, the tragic passing of Rachel, it's, it's, it's ironic Back in Genesis 30, she had pleaded with with her husband, give me children or I shall die. She was desperate. She needed a child to feel significant in the eyes of, of Leah and the rest of her family. But here in chapter 35, it's the blessing of a new son that actually brings her to the end. And what a devastating blow that must have been. Thirdly, Deborah's passing, it, it, it must have brought sorrow to the family. Rachel's end, it must have been heart-rendering. Then comes the death of his father. And that must have taken him right up to the edge. At the age of 180 years old, we read that Isaac breathed his last. Jacob and his brother, they, they buried him in the place where his mother and father, their, their grandfather, were laid to rest. This journey through life that Jacob was on, it is not an easy one, is it? How many of you would, would love to trade lives with Jacob? Not me. Not only do, did, did he have this incredible, horrible experience with his, with his children, but now he's experiencing things that come naturally in life and people are passing away. It's tragic. But you know, our lives aren't easy either, are they? Not only do we live with the residual effects of the choices that we've made, though we know that no one lives forever, the passing of our loved ones often startles us. It's devastating to us. In the days, weeks, Years that follow, we're confronted with wave after wave of grief, which just washes over us. It weighs heavy on us. It depletes us. Sometimes it brings us to the place where we feel like we just can't go on. Death is a horrible thing. And we know from our study in Genesis that death is the result of past choices, right? And death is a result of, of human sin, It's the consequence for our rebellion against God. It's a devastating thing. It's a horrible thing. And yet, we're living now in the wake of past choices. Now, as far as Jacob is concerned, you would think that after all of this, that that would have been enough to completely crush him. None of us are strangers to life's sorrows, but this man, he seemed like, it seemed like his life was just pummeling him. One more blow strikes. One more blow strikes. We see it in verse 22. It's almost just mentioned in, it's mentioned in passing here, as if it's not significant. And yet, this must have been incredibly difficult. Verse 22 says, well, Israel, Jacob, well, Israel lived in that land. Reuben, the oldest, went and lay with Bila, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it." Wow. Where did that come from? What brought that on? What 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 moved Reuben to do something like this? Was it just one of those moments of passion, a, a thoughtless indiscretion, a fleeting moment when desire clouded his judgment? I don't think so. I think instead that this was an act of retaliation that was brought on by resentment. I think that after the, the, the being the oldest son and the son of an unloved mother of Leah, I, and I think that after seeing the way that his father loved Rachel and played favorites with her firstborn son Joseph, and then seeing the way that Benjamin, this, this new child, had stolen all of his attention... And I think that after having seen how dad didn't so much as lift a finger to avenge the honor of his sister, I think that Reuben was determined to stab his father in a way that really, really hurt. What's more, I think that this was Reuben's way of planting a stake in the ground and declaring his right to the family inheritance. One scholar notes. That Near Eastern custom, the Near Eastern custom, uh, held that possession of the concubines of a man's father or vanquished enemies that validated succession. And so this may have been a way where he said, "You know what? I'm I'm getting the inheritance here, and let me show you how I'm expecting it." Regardless of his reasons, Reuben's actions no doubt brought more sorrow upon his father. Jacob's family was an absolute mess. His life was a mess. The effects of of human sin, they they were all over it. And the effects of his own poor decisions, they left their mark on each and every day. And Jacob had ample reason to look at his life and not be happy with what he saw, to just throw in the towel. And you know, it's in moments like that when we're tempted to give in to discouragement as well, aren't we? We're tempted to look for a way out, to cut and run, to press reset and start over. Or just give up entirely. Sometimes it just feels like the mess is too big. It's it's too long. There's too much history. There's too much damage. There's too much hurt. But you know, even after all the hurt, all the missteps, all the damage that had been done, all the water that had passed under the proverbial bridge, God wasn't finished with Jacob. Amidst all of that, God calls Jacob back to the place where they had first met. Back to Bethel, back to himself, back to purity, back to worship, back to walking each day faithfully in step with his plan. Let's look all the way back now to verse 1 and see what God says. He says to Jacob, Arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. You see, even after all that has happened, even after the mistakes that had been made, even, after, even though Jacob's life was a life that was riddled with all kinds of bumps and bruises and, and, and soiled stains, God's grace was still there. It was just waiting to be poured out on him again and again and again. God promised Jacob back, to, back in chapter 28. Remember this? He said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. And God doesn't make promises that he can't keep or doesn't intend to fully deliver on. Has God made any promises to you? Has God broken into your life and revealed himself? Has he begun a work? Has he shown you his grace? You can be sure that he has not squelched on the deal. Yes, you've stumbled. Yes, you may have fallen. Yes, your life might be riddled with baggage and scars just like Jacob's was. Maybe you look at your life and you just see a mess. You see a train wreck. You see a fixer-upper that's now looking more like a total loss. But you know, his love, his care, and his desire to reclaim and restore you remain unchanged. Last week, we looked to 1 John 1, 1.9, and we noted that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's really good news. And one of the reasons for that is the implication that the value of your life is is not dependent on a cumulative accounting of the good or the bad things that you have done or the comparative size of the mess that you have made. No, the value of your life is based on Christ's perfection. The Bible calls that perfection, it calls it righteousness. Titus 3.5 tells us that He saved us not because of works, done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God's love for you and the rescue that He offers, that's not dependent on our righteousness It's not dependent upon our perfection or our report card. No, it's because of God's mercy. It's because of God's kindness. It's because of his goodness that we're made right, that we are justified through Jesus and given an eternal place in his family. It's just incredible, isn't it? Romans 3.24 tells us that we are justified by his grace as a gift You see, the basis for God's call that, that He uses to bring you back to Himself, the basis for that is Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross. And that puts on brilliant display His righteousness and His absolute perfection. It makes God look really, really good. Jacob was called back to Bethel. Not because God saw something good inside of him that made him worth saving. No, he simply did it because of his own goodness and his faithfulness to his promises. Jacob's redemption was the result of God's grace. I imagine as Jacob traveled with his family to Bethel, he did so with a heavy heart. How could it not be heavy His life was no great prize to offer up to God. When he approached his his brother Esau, he, he sent before Esau all of these magnificent gifts fit for a king. But as he approached the place God had called him to Bethel, he approached with brokenness, with shame, a family that was divided, children that were a wreck. All he had to offer God was a mess. And yet, God called. You know, it's diff- no different than the way that God calls you and I. It's no different. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you weak? Is your heart weighed down by the sorrows of life? Maybe you come racked with guilt. Maybe you come with some big regrets. Maybe your life has been forever altered by decisions that you have made and it just feels like a mess. Just as God called Jacob, God's calling you to himself. You see, amidst the messiness of life, God is calling us back to himself that his grace might wash over our past that it might give us new identity and fill us with hope for tomorrow. God calls us in our mess. He calls us in our mess, a disaster, but he calls us and draws us to himself. But he doesn't do that so that we might stay messy. No, his desire is to show his grace to us, to change us, to make us clean, and to prepare us to to live out our days in honor to him, and to live out our days in, in the brilliant hope of tomorrow. Notice what happens as Jacob approaches Bethel. First of all, he's cleansed. Verse two says, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. You see, as Jacob responded to God's call, he knew that he and his family were unclean. They had done things that should not be done. They had in their possession items that should not be possessed, namely figurines that were worshipped in place of worshipping God. He called his people to purify themselves, and that would have included meticulously washing their bodies and then putting on new clothes. It it was like an outside act that pointed to an inward state of their hearts, that, that the outside reflected their inward desire to be made new, to be cleansed of all their wickedness. You know, in the same way, it's important for us to know that when God calls us to himself, his desire is to cleanse us. It's to purify us. It's to wash that muck and gunk from the inside that comes from a life of rebellion. And his desire is to clothe us in Christ's righteousness. Paul says in Ephesians 4.22 that we are to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As you and I answer Christ's call to come with all of our burdens, we also need to do so recognizing that we need to be washed clean by God's grace from the inside out we need him to replace those old corrupt desires of our hearts with those that are pure and so we make intentional decisions to remove from our lives what's not honoring to God and replace it with what is are there forms of entertainment in your life that need to go Are there habits that need to be put to death? Are there attitudes that need to be weeded out? Are there behaviors that are just unbecoming of a person who's been washed clean by Christ? God wants to cleanse us. Secondly, new identity. New identity was given to Jacob. As we respond to Christ's call, we also need to recognize God wants to give transform us he wants to give us a new identity a new name in Genesis 35 9 God appears to Jacob in Bethel and reaffirms the change of his name no longer would he be called Jacob the heel grabber the one who did whatever it take to get what was coming to him no he would be called Israel The one whose life, whose name testifies that God never stops struggling or striving or or working on those whom he has called. In the same way, when we place our trust in Christ, our former identity, it's done away with. And we take on Christ's identity. That's what Galatians tells us in chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God calls you to himself that you might be washed clean, that you might be given a new identity, Christ's identity. And finally, that you might walk forward with new hope. Jacob was given new hope. In verse 11, God says to Jacob, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And Jacob's family situation, it had not changed there were still the same problems there were still the same wounds the same mess in fact if we look at this passage chronologically the incident with reuben and his concubine that's yet to happen and yet even in the midst of all that even through that god was going to bring about what he promised you and I might look at the mess of our lives. We might look at that and say, that is a one huge stink bomb. That is one huge obstacle to what God might want to do in our lives. And yet, if we have that perspective, all we're really doing is showing a lack of trust in God's power to work, in His power to transform, in His power to bring beauty from ashes. And that's because the reality is, no obstacle is so great that God cannot either move or even use to bring about His purposes. This is really important for us to remember. The messes that you and I have in our lives, they may may be the very things that God uses to accomplish His purpose for us. In Jacob's case, His sons from four different mothers were by no means model citizens. Two of them, at least two of them, were murderers. His polygamous marriages, they were by no means God's ideal. The brokenness of his daughter is nothing short of tragic. His reputation among his neighbors that he now had, it's nothing to be desired. And yet God declared to him that through his mess, through that mess that he is partly responsible for creating, that God would bring blessing. That's good news, isn't it? Good news for us. Amidst the messiness of life, God is calling us back to Himself that His grace might wash over our past, might give us a new identity, and fill us with hope for tomorrow. It was two days into the mission, about uh, 205,000 miles from Earth. That's when the cabin resounded with what was described as this loud bang. And that was accompanied by fluctuations in electrical power and uh, automatic firing of the attitude control thrusters. It was chaos in there. And that's when those fateful words of Jim Lovell were sent hurling back to earth. Houston, we have had a problem. If you're familiar with the events of Apollo 13, you know that things go from bad to worse. Just about every conceivable thing that could go wrong did go wrong. And the situation was desperate. The mission was the mission they intended to initially accomplish, that was a failure. This was a mess of epic proportions, and sometimes life feels just like that. Sometimes we take a hard look at our lives and we're not happy with what we see. But the good news of Genesis 35 is that in the midst of the messiness we experience and that we're responsible for in our lives, God is calling us back to himself. He's calling us back to himself that his grace might wash over our past, give us new identity, fill us with that hope that we need for tomorrow. Have you responded to that call? I encourage you to respond today. Confess your sin to him. Trust in Jesus that he took your sin upon himself at the cross and there he paid for it in full. That you were now forgiven and that he has washed you clean and is making you a new person with a new identity. And not only that, but that he is giving you a hope and a future that this life is not the end but you have eternity in paradise to look forward to. Would you respond to his call? And if you have already responded to his call, are you continuing to trust? Are you continuing to listen, to obey, as you continue to walk through a life that is filled with scars and sufferings? Are you continually being washed by Christ Continually holding on to your new identity in Him. And continually looking forward to the eternal future He has promised. Have you wondered? He's calling. He's calling you back. He's calling you to Himself. Lord, we love You. We thank You that You have not given up on us so many times lord we reveal that we are weak that we are frail that we are prone to wander but also prone to despair prone to give up quick to surrender and to just become apathetic lord would you call us back to yourself help us to realize that you are calling us back to yourself And Lord, may we come running to you, even in the midst of our pain, of our suffering, of our anguish, Lord. Some of it's brought on by ourselves, other it's just happened, and we're hurting. May we come running that we might be washed with your grace. Wash over our past, Lord. Give us a new identity. Remind us of who we are in Christ, Lord, and then point us to the incredible promises you have made to us, the future that is secure because Christ is risen and he is alive. We love you. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would bless those who are listening or watching this even now. Bring them to yourself, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: of my God and King. Arise and praise the one worthy of the songs of a thousand tongues. Forever you are. Forever You're worthy of the songs of a thousand.